I'm your host, Aaron Groves, and welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Groves. I hope everyone had a good weekend. Happy Monday. And we have yet another guest on the podcast. To give a little bit of backstory before I introduce her, one of my colleagues at the job that I work at now actually brought her to my attention. She is someone that had left the corporate world almost two years ago to pursue her own business ventures. We love a good entrepreneurial story here on the Pop Podcast. So Ashley Bennington, welcome on the show. Say Thank hello. You. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited and I love when I get to meet new people from awesome opportunities and awesome experiences that I've had. So I love that Nikki connected us. This is great. I love yeah, it. I know. This is going to be such a good episode. We all know I love to target guests that developed skills in the corporate world, took it and did their own thing. And Ashley is the CEO of her seven figure story and yes. by the blazer. So by the blazer, yes. Launched literally a week ago yesterday. So it's eight days in guys, eight days into the second business world. I mm-hmm. was just going to say, my, give the audience a little bit of background on both of your businesses and yeah. where you came up with this business idea, your new venture. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've kind of always been one of those people that like, if I want to do something, I'm like a very quick decision maker, both the houses I bought in my twenties, I bought in under 20 minutes, bought my car without seeing it. Like, I'm just one of those, like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So I not going way into my background too much, but I've always been one of those people. I like to like set a really crazy goal and just be like, I'm going to figure it out. And I've just always been like that in my entire life. And so I was thinking this past year about like my own financial goals and experiences that I've had in my own financial growth. Like I paid my way through school. I bought, I was my first friend to buy a house, like just all those things. And I was like, I really just want to encourage women to kind of get their financial shit together. I think that like as women, we are not necessarily recognized as um, like financial leaders of our families or just in general. And I was like, I just want women to know what's possible when it comes to their financial future, because I've been able to accomplish so much in my twenties. And I know that that's possible for other women, but I just don't know if they have the confidence or the knowledge to do that. So I was thinking, I was like, what can I do? Like, what's the craziest goal that I can think of? And I was looking at my vision board last June it was about a year after I had uh, quit um, Paycom, my last job. And I was looking at my vision board and I kept looking at the words millionaire by 30. And I'm like, well, I turned 29 in a month and a half. And I was like, you know what? I want to bring everyone on a 365 day journey of me becoming a millionaire by 30. Hey, AKA her seven figure story. Now it like makes sense. Right. Yeah. And so I came up with the idea and at first it was kind of like a documentation process. It wasn't necessarily like a business Um, and so I was doing a lot of like TikTok and this, and then all of a sudden I had women reaching out and they're like, I don't understand how to do this. Like, I don't understand all these pieces. And I started analyzing my own financial strategy and I kind of came up with this method of just managing your money and understanding your financial game plan. I was like, what if I became a coach, like a financial coach? Because I think a lot of young women don't need an advisor to manage their money. They just need to know how to manage it themselves before they go and kind of have an advisor take over their wealth. And so 
Um, I literally posted a TikTok uh, with like three, I had 3,000 followers at the time, posted a TikTok, uh, went to like 40,000 followers literally in like a week and all of a sudden had 30 coaching clients in, in two months. So um, now I have a seven figure masterclass program, um, which is a 12 week program where we walk through all phases of like understanding your money, understanding your mindset around money, understanding what's possible. Um, I do coaching, I do one-off sessions, um, just all sorts of stuff. So what's crazy is through that process, I've always been really good at understanding like my brand as a corporate individual, but I really started to understand my brand as someone building an online business. And I was like, I really want to help people understand how to structure an online business. I was like, that might be my next business venture. So um, about three months ago, I had already had a name. I had an LLC. I had all the things. And I was like, I want to change all that. Like, I want to rebrand. I really want to have something like powerful and punchy and kind of sassy and fun. And I was thinking about like young women and just young men entering into the corporate workforce. And like that moment when you like buy your first blazer and you put on that suit and you enter into like your identity as a new adult in the corporate world. And I was like, buy the blazer. That's what you're going to do. You're going to put on that coat. You're going to put on your identity as a business owner. And I'm going to create a marketing agency to help individuals kind of brand and understand their offer strategy when it comes to putting together and scaling an online business. So launched that a week ago, have been talking to a couple um, women who have podcasts and small businesses and are really just trying to kind of create their identity and understand their ideal uh, clients. So that's very, very new, but those between the both of those, that keeps me very, very busy as you can imagine. So that's kind of where both businesses really came from. That's such an yeah. interesting, I like by the blazer and it's funny. I'm a vision. I just yeah. did my first, we'll call it vision board, but I'm very much into spiritual. I talk a lot about manifestation and really understanding who you are. Was your initial, her seven figure story, was that something that you felt was brewing when you were in the corporate world and you were unhappy with where you were? Or did you take, did you leave the corporate world and then launch that business? So yeah, so I left, um, I left my corporate job and I kind of dabbled around with some other business things. So I, and I did, um, also, and still actually technically do work a full-time job. So I have that on top of that as well. Oh yeah. I'm not kidding. Girl, girl's busy. Um, and so I did that just to kind of maintain being able to pay for my expenses Um, just a lot more flexible than what I was doing before. And then um, everyone, so this is like, I think where I made like the best mistake and the worst mistake is everyone was like, Ashley, you need to do home organization. So everyone who knows me knows I'm obnoxiously meticulous, like everything's very organized. And so I was doing that kind of just as like a kind of side hustle kind of business. And it was an extension of like a blog I had just kind of created for fun. And I got to this point where I was like, this is not me. Like I'm doing a business because other people know that this is a skill set I have, but I don't really want this to be a business. I'd rather just kind of have this as a side hobby. And I was like, what am I really good at? And I was like, I think my kind of zone of genius and like my special skill set is helping women see what's possible when it comes to like their uniqueness. Like I do believe every woman in the world, every, every, every individual, but I just love working with young women have something like a personality trait, a skill, something that is worth millions of dollars. Like we all have something very, very special. And I've always been really good at helping women see what's possible. I've just done a lot of like mentoring and management and stuff in my life. And so I was like, money is one of those topics that I don't think a lot of people have a lot of support on, especially as young women. And so I was like, there's a need for that. And that's something I'm really passionate about. And that between that and then my own personal goal, it just kind of came together really seamlessly. So 
it really worked out. I don't know if I totally had a strategy when I launched. I just yeah. kind of did it. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to figure out along the way. And that's kind of how the last almost six months, I guess six months last week or two weeks ago have been. So it's been, it's been like the coolest thing ever. It's honestly like the best job in the world. I feel so blessed to get to help women every single day, just feel more powerful and more confident when it comes to their financial game plan. Financial. I had someone on the podcast, Katie Gaddy. I should connect you with her, but she's doing yes. something along the same lines and she has built an incredible business for herself. And it's funny because I'm someone that feels guilty talking about money. And when you're in a job where you make decent money and especially in mm-hmm. sales, it's a sticky subject. And I think it's just because we have an emotional connection to money for some reason. Yeah. It's always an emotional reaction. Either you're I want to talk about it all the time. And then when people talk about it all the time, you're looked at them as egotistical or they're being flashy. Or if you don't talk about it, it's like they're kind of being hesitant about it. Why aren't they Mm -hmm. elaborating or being more open? So I do think it's one of those topics that's just always sticky. And for me personally, I think a lot of it has to do with how you are raised. Like were your parents people that talk about it or were they not? What was one of the biggest lessons that you learned when you launched the seven-figure coaching business, whether it's about yourself or just about starting a business on your own? Yeah. I think like a good lesson that I learned is you're never ready because as an entrepreneur, as a business person, most of the time we're striving for perfection, right? We want all the like pieces ironed out. We want to know exactly what the heck we're doing. And I'm going to be honest, when I booked my first first coaching client, I was like... I actually don't know what we're going to go over in coaching. I just was very like, obviously I'm in sales. So I talked with her and I knew what she needed. And I was like, I know I can help her. I don't really know how I'm going to help her. I just kind of made something up on the spot. And then I had to freak out until our first meeting. And then it just kind of came together. And I'm so glad I kind of started before I wasn't like, I was actually ready because I don't think I ever would have been ready. So I think starting, even if you don't hundred percent have everything ironed out, is super important. Same thing with our my um, it's called the seven figure masterclass. It's a 12-week uh program. And it's really geared towards women who are like, I am ready to really understand wealth and understand what that means and my options when it comes to wealth. Um, obviously a lot of it's education-based, but it's also very community-based of like young women coming together, especially entrepreneurs that need to understand what their options are when it comes to, you know, different accounts and different strategies. And I was booking people for that program before I even had half of it made. Like I was like, this is what we're going to do because I wanted to like prove my concept. I want to make sure that I had women who are like, yes, this is valuable before I like spent 80 hours putting together this detailed program. So like sometimes it's better to just kind of get started and prove your concept and then kind of work out the details and kinks later. It saves you a lot of time and it honestly made me a lot more money. So it was kind of a double win. Yeah. I just read this book, which I don't know if you've read it, but it's called The Entrepreneurial Leap. And I'm going to do a a whole solo episode on it, but it talked about that. And on both sides, there was uh, 20 entrepreneurs and they said like, what was the most important thing that you learned positively? And then what was one of your biggest regrets? And on the first part of it, their thing was like, I'm so glad I did it. You're never going to look back. And then on the regrets, it was like, I should have done it sooner. And my audience is, you know, I'm speaking to people that are striving to be entrepreneurs and people who want to go out there and do something different if the corporate world isn't resonating with them. So I just find it so interesting because I know for me, I started this podcast and 
since then things have kind of just filled in and I'm not yeah. a super, you seem a lot more type A than me. I'm not super type A. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty go with the flow, but there is this yeah. initial fear of, I don't have everything figured out, but if I'm going to charge someone for it, or I'm asking for something yeah. you think in your brain, but it's funny because almost every single person is like, I just started moving in a direction and put mm. one foot in front of the other. What was one of, if you had a, like a huge mistake that you made in your initial launch that now looking back on, you would advise people, hey, maybe don't do this, especially around the coaching mentorship business. Yeah, I think like one of the, I don't know if I would call it a mistake, but something I'm kind of like now going back and working is like, I think that for me, like I didn't look at my business as an agency. I was like, I have this one offer. Do you want it or do you not? And for me, I was like, I think I got about probably eight or nine clients in where I was kind of pitching this very like structure, like, okay, there's four calls. This is what it looks like. And I'm like, you know what? Like maybe I just go ahead and have different offerings. Like if someone wants to work with me, maybe I just say like, hey, I'm going to give you this, this, and this and kind of create custom packages. The way my business works is all through discovery calls. They book a free discovery call. We kind of talk through what they're looking for. And what's crazy is I was able to double my sales this past month when I kind of treated my business as an agency and through coaching, sometimes we just have specific services. For me, I was like, I'm getting someone on a call. I know I can help them. And maybe only having two options is not going to serve me. So putting together kind of a custom plan for someone doesn't require much extra work for me, but it gives them the solution they want and the price point they need. And sometimes that also makes sense. And so I kind of restructured. I also launched a membership, which is super helpful because I work with a lot of young women that are in college and they don't necessarily have a couple hundred dollars or even a couple thousand dollars. So the idea that maybe they can just hop on a group call and just kind of like an office hours approach for $15 a month, like that is super enticing. So the idea that now I have residual income every month on a membership that requires maybe 10 hours of my time a month to maintain is going to help me long-term also scale my business. So I think just like not putting myself in a box of like, I'm a coach. So I have a coaching offer of I'm someone who is going to provide the best solution for every client. And if they're willing to hop on a call, I'm willing to find a solution that works. Even if I have to kind of piecemeal different offerings together, it feels like it would take a lot more time, but it actually didn't. I thought it was going to be like a harder thing or overcomplicate my business. 20 times more simple than I ever thought it could be. I don't know if that's like the answer you wanted, but honestly, yeah. like that, that's probably the thing that has impacted my business the most. It's just listening to customer feedback. It's like, hey, yeah. this is what we're liking. And one thing too, we talk a lot about in your place somewhere, I'm very black and white. I'm a very direct personality. And I think it's either yep. right or it's wrong and there's no gray area. And as I've gotten older, I think a lot of it just has to do with age. I'm 25. Yeah. So as I get older, I start to realize things. And then you start to realize, okay, there is a gray area and every client mm -hmm. is different as long as it's in the same scope of mm -hmm whatever you're offering, where do you yeah. get a lot of your, is it from your blog or if there's someone out there listening to this episode, that's looking to go into that business, yeah. where would you advise they're getting their clients? It's social media or. Yeah. So this is shocking. So I was always like very anti TikTok. I'm like, I hate TikTok because all my friends would waste hours on it like hours on it. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Like you are wasting all of your life just watching <laughs> these dumb dancing videos. And I didn't really realize until about a month before I launched what an incredible business platform it is. 95% of my revenue has been driven from TikTok. What? 
Like what? Like, I don't even, I can't even believe I'm saying that out loud. Um, Instagram's been increasing a little bit. Literally, I only had one client from TikTok until like two months ago. Like when I, because I have them fill out a form and let them know where they found me. Now they might've eventually booked from Instagram, but 95% of my clients originally started following me and creating, generating interest because of TikTok. So absolutely 1000% TikTok, especially for me, I work with young women they're all on TikTok. That's their favorite platform right now. Instagram is not their like main hub for information. Which is TikTok. so interesting because I've had people tell me to put this podcast on TikTok to get it to go viral. Yeah. And I was kind of hesitant. I have one of my friends that works with me and she was just like, pick one platform and blast it. And so I chose Instagram because yeah. I don't necessarily think mine isn't just young women. I feel like my age group is more like, we're talking like 25 to 40. Mm -hmm. I mean, aspiring entrepreneurs, but I don't really think mm -hmm. most people that are listening to this when they're 18, 19 and 20 aren't necessarily as self-aware yeah. or no. I mean, not that I'm not talking to them, but that's yeah. just interesting because I, for me personally, I've kind of struggled. I've gone back and forth on it. I mean, I post maybe like, five to six times a week. How many times do you post in a week? So that's the thing that I like about TikTok is, so Instagram is this like curated platform, right? Yeah. It's like very like aesthetically pleasing, very curated. TikTok is like all over the place. Like some of my best videos, I look like this, which is uh, half my hair is not curled. Um, and I'm like laying on my couch and I'm like, I just do a 20 second. Don't even try. The videos I try on are not exciting. The uh, videos I don't try on go viral. <laughs> and I have, I have almost 50,000 followers on TikTok. And what's crazy is I'm like, wow, how much money have I made with 50,000 followers? If I could double this or triple. So, um, yeah, I kind of post, I would say probably on average, maybe three or four times a week. Sometimes I go like really full blast. And then sometimes I kind of don't post for a week. It just kind of depends, but really there's been like 10 videos that collectively have gotten probably around 2 million views between all, all 10 of them. And I remember like when those videos went viral, like my phone just blew up. It was like email, email, email. Can we hop on a call? It was crazy. So that's, what's cool about TikTok is just yeah. the way the algorithm works. You can go viral. You can connect with more people differently than Instagram. Um, whereas sometimes like you could little, I mean, I, at the time I had 4,000 followers and I got 800,000 views on a video. Like that's, that wouldn't happen the same way on Instagram. So I think TikTok's like an incredible platform. Actually, I do have clients in their like thirties and forties, a couple of them. And they also found me from TikTok. So super crazy. I, I would have had no idea that would not have been the strategy I would have taken. It just kind of worked. The power of social media market. I do think it's a consistency game. And I know by the blazer is all around that branding and yeah. helping young. I'm probably your exact target market. <laughs> yes. What are some of the things be specific and a what you're looking for in these people that you're working with and be some of their biggest challenges that they have that you are guiding them through? Yeah. With the by the blazer specifically or yeah. both of them? Very different. So by the blazer, I, then we'll do yeah. the second one. So by the blazer for me, like I wanted individuals who felt like they had a superpower and they didn't know how to brand that through social media. Like when I ask my clients, I'm like, why did you work with me? There's, uh, there's hundreds of people out there doing financial coaching, all this, whatever. And they're always like, I felt like you were sitting on the same side of the table with me, walking me through this process. And I was like, that has always been because I came from sales and I've always managed people. I was managing 150 people when I was 22 years old. That was always my approach to management is I want people to feel like I'm sitting on the same side of the table with them. 
they're not meeting with me, I'm handholding them and walking them through an, an experience to get them to the result that they have. And that's what they all tell me. And so with By the Blazer, I want people to say like, I need someone to help me understand my strategy as a business owner or as a brand. So like podcasts, whoever, um, and really people who don't understand their identity. So it can be as simple as like your logo and colors, but it can also expand into your offer strategy. Like who are you targeting? A lot of people have a business and they don't understand who they're targeting. So then they can't have a strategy around who they're targeting. And so that was something that I really, I kind of opened up her seven figure story to everyone. And then I was like, no, no, no. I want to work with young women like that. It was what I always want to do. And when I got back to that strategy, my price point could go up because I was targeting them specifically. And I also felt like my experience with my clients were better because I actually had like a specific target audience. So I think that that's what a lot of business owners don't understand is who they're targeting and then also creating an offer strategy around that. So my goal is to really work with individuals with like an online business um, but I have a friend, yeah, she has a podcast and we're creating our logo strategy and colors and like how she wants to market herself and just all that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of the direction we're going. Again, just knowing how her seven figure story worked, who knows what it will look like in six months, but that's what we're doing now. And I'm super excited about it because I think there's so much potential in building online businesses. Like I just think it's it's an incredible outlet and it's a great way for people to kind of dig into entrepreneurship and kind of figuring out how to... Um, really grow wealth in, in the way that I've been able to do it over the last six months. So that's by the blazer and then her seven figure story. Um, yeah, I mean, um, all but like ooh, eight or nine of my clients have been between the ages of 21, 27 women. So that that is like my sweet spot. I, I actually do have a woman, she's 20 years old and she's in our masterclass program. So she's a college student taking my 12 week program. And she's like, because I want to be a badass and I want to be a millionaire at 30 and I want to figure it out. I need to know how to have strategy behind what I'm doing now and understand what my options are so I can really understand wealth in its entirety. So that's really my sweet spot. I want that woman who's like in college, getting out of college and is like, I want to be a badass. I want to be able to be an entrepreneur and not feel tied down to my paycheck. And I want to be able to you know, be able to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to be whatever I want my life to be. I want to know what financial things I should be aware of to get there and understand an actual strategy behind like their budget and their backup plan. If they were to lose their job or just all those things that I don't think we talk about enough um, when it comes to your money. Money, it's always just like how much money you make, but it's like, well, once you make it, how do you manage it? And how do you understand what your strategy is behind that? I think that's like a missing piece in the education world right now around money. What are the three most important things that you think young? I have a lot of male listeners in this, so I am not, yeah. you know, I'm open. I have very masculine energy, so I feel like I love, <laughs> you know, talking and working with guys. I think they bring a different perspective than I have. But what are the three most important things that you feel people should know about wealth and their journey, especially if they're in yeah. their 20 to 27 range? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing, so I, all of my strategy revolves around what I call the four buckets of your wealth journey, which is your strategic budget, your emergency game plan. So preparing for impact, your short-term wealth strategy and your long-term wealth strategy. So I think that like one of the things that I see as an opportunity that young people don't understand is I don't care how much money you make or don't make, you need to budget. So I always tell my clients, it was 50 times easier to budget when I made $50,000 a year 
than when I made almost 500K a year. When you make more money, you think like you don't need to budget. That's actually the time where your strategy needs to be more specific because that's really the opportunity where you are going to be making $10,000 errors or $20,000 errors. And that long-term can make a huge impact in your ability to retire early or do whatever you want with your life. So that would be definitely the first one. I always say, I don't care, budget. The second thing is investing is not as hard as you think it is. Um, I think that's like just something in general that I tell every single one of my clients. I was like, I want to meet with you to talk about investing. And I think that they overcomplicate investing as like only the rich invest. I was like, no, no, no. That's how the rich get rich. They invest. They understand their investing journey. And then I think the third is actually understanding the value of retirement accounts. So most of my clients are putting money in a 401k because they think that's what they're supposed to do. And I was like, that's awesome. And that is probably what you're supposed to be doing. But most of them don't understand that a 401k decreases their tax liability. So I have clients who make 200k. And I was like, well, if you put money in a 401k, your tax liability would be less this year. And they're like, I had no idea. So they're not actually using those accounts to be strategic. They're just using those accounts because they're available. And I think that's what I really try to help my clients understand is you're not just making good financial decisions. You actually have a strategy. Like how much are you putting in your 401k to decrease your taxes this year based on your income? How much are you putting in a Roth IRA so that you are able to withdraw that money earlier than your 401k so you can actually use that for retirement and not be just tied down to money that is pre-tax in a 401k account? Like little things like that could change someone's entire financial situation. I mean, that could be the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout their life or even more. And those little things that they understand now will help them kind of navigate their life, whether they make a lot of money, not a lot of money, they stay at home, whatever it is, it's just going to help them long-term. So that's really like the big, the big focuses and the big opportunities I would say with most of my clients in that, in that age range. Budgeting for me has always been hard. I don't know why. It's just something that I don't, I'm a pretty conscious person about what I'm spending. I know what's coming in. Uh, I know what's going out. I look at it, but I've never been someone that's like only $500 a month on this or only $500 a month on this. And it's something that I tell myself to do often, but I do think that overwhelm, it's just an emotional overwhelm because there, I think money is kind of similar to politics and I don't allow about politics <laughs> yeah, on this podcast, really but there's so much information and there's so many polarizing views. I think it's hard mm-hmm. to understand what works best for you because again, there's so much, it's kind of like giving fitness advice. Like I'm a huge health person and I struggle sometimes giving that advice because what works for me isn't going to work for you. Yeah. So are there, be more specific, are there specific things that you tell people around budgeting? Is it a percent to save every month? Mm-hmm. Is it a based off of your monthly income? Like, could you be more specific just for people out there listening yeah, who are wanting sure. base knowledge? For sure. So I do everything. And this is obviously not a me principle, but I love the 50-30-20 principle as a good starting place for most people because most people don't have any type of budget. And so the 50-30 budget method is 50% of your money for your needs, like your house, your car payment, the things you have to pay for, 30% for wants and 20% for long-term savings, extra debt payoff, and your emergency fund. So in simplicity, when I look with go with a client, we always start with just putting in the numbers first, like put in the numbers into this tracker and see where you are. Because I do believe for most individuals in that age range, that would give them a pretty balanced budget. Like if you're actually putting away 20% into your savings and investment accounts, 
that's pretty good, especially when you're young. Most people are not doing that at all. So that at least gives them a starting spot. And then what I do from there is I help them understand, like, are you actually filling the different buckets that you need? So if a client does not have an emergency fund, we're going to look at how much they have in their needs and their wants category, which is their expenses, and determine how much they need in an emergency fund. So if they spend... $2,000 every single month, and that's what they need to have in an emergency fund. Typically, I'm recommending three to six months because that will help them prepare for impact. So then it's, okay, you don't have an emergency fund. Now we need to put in your budget how much a month you have to build that up. And I typically try to get my clients to get that built up within a year to two years, depending on how much money they have. So that within two years, they know that they have that backup plan um, for their finances. And then we look at When do you want to retire? Okay, great. How much are you going to need at that age? Then we're going to take that age, we're going to divide it back, and then that's what they're going to be putting into their retirement accounts. And then determining again, based on their income, do you have one retirement account? Do you have two? Depending on how diversified they can be, depending on how much money they have left over. And then we look at short-term wealth. So anything else, we're probably going to prioritize in short-term wealth. Do you have any short-term expenses? Great. Let's put that in a high-yield savings account so you have that available within the next six months or 12 months or whatever it is. The rest of your money, you need to be putting in an investment account. So do you have any long-term goals where you need a separate account for that? Are you buying a house in five years? Great. Don't have that in your general account. Have a specific investment account for the house. Then you're putting in a specific amount in that fund every single month to have X amount by the time you buy a house. If you need $50,000 for a down payment, let's backtrack. Talk about your potential average rate of return in the market. And then that's how much we're putting in that account. So again, it's a lot about strategy is what do you have a payment for? Let's backtrack of your, how much time you have until that payment is due until you need that money. That's how much you put in that account on a monthly basis. And most people, it's not overly complicated. Just most people need a lot of support and talking through that, but that's kind of the, the basis of it is what are you spending? What are your goals? How do we start putting together a monthly payment plan to get you on track to your goals or quarterly, whatever it kind of works. But I tend to go my monthly with most of my clients, even if they have like, you know, kind of uh, crazy incomes that at least gets them consistently looking at their budget and also analyzing what they're spending money on. Like when you have an account that says house, and then you're like, I really want this purse. You're like, wow, I could spend $3,000 on this, or I could get myself 20% closer to this goal. Like it helps you understand and help yourself make conscious decision about, do I want to spend this money or not? And most people, the reason they just spend is because they're not looking at an account that has their biggest goal on it. And yeah. like, no, this is actually what I want to like save for. And this is what I want to prioritize. So I'm big on like naming your accounts and having like a goal behind what you're doing. Yeah. It's just putting structure behind it. It's like anything else in yeah. life. I just feel it's again, one of those topics that has such an emotional connection to it that it's easy to be like, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow. I'll do this Mm -hmm. tomorrow. And I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of it. And I've talked to so many people again, like I'm pretty good with it. I save, I have a percentage, but I do think there's some things that I could be better. I have a pretty good pulse check on myself. What is the biggest mistake you think young people or even some of your old clients make when it comes to finance, whether that's a misconception or just a mistake that they make? Yeah. So this is very not aligned with Dave Ramsey. If people are Dave Ramsey fans, you're not going to like me very much. But I think debt is a tool if you're utilizing it to grow wealth. So I actually posted one time, I was like, yep, I only put $50,000 on down on my house because why would I put more down and put that in the house when I could utilize that money to grow wealth? And they're like, why wouldn't you just pay off the house? And I was like, why 
why would I want that money to grow at eight, nine, 10% in the stock market instead of borrowing at 3%? Like that doesn't make any sense. And so I think that debt comes off because most people get college debt and then they like feel that's like this heavy negative thing. So they're like, I never want debt. And I want my clients to understand that debt is a tool if you have a game plan to pay it off and you're utilizing it to grow wealth. Like I've always had mortgages on my homes because I can make a lot more in other investment opportunities than the rate that I'm borrowing that money. And so I think like that people get scared of debt. And I have clients who are like, yeah, I'm going to put $30,000 on a car. And I was like, no, like, what are you doing? You don't have an emergency fund anymore. You only have $30,000. You don't want it tied up in a car that 10 minutes later is going to be worth half of that, you know, whatever it is. And so I think like money a lot, like the way I was raised was through a lot of fear. And I think a lot of people make financial decisions out of fear and stress and not strategy and confidence. And I want people to be like, I'm going to consciously choose to do this because it's going to help me be more successful long-term and know what that is, as opposed to I'm doing this because I'm afraid to be in debt. Like you shouldn't be afraid to be in debt unless you're putting yourself in debt because you can't actually afford something. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are in that position, then great. You need a specific game plan to get yourself out of that debt. Even if it's, I have to, you know, put something on a payment plan for a year. Great. Make sure that you can afford to do that comfortably in your budget before you make that decision. So that's why, you know, having credit is important. That's why having a emergency fund is important. So again, they kind of just all, all those pieces kind of work together. Were you always someone that was super passionate about finance or was this something like looking back, I read this in the book. And so this is kind of the backstory behind why I'm asking this question, but a lot of entrepreneurs, A, it's a personality. That's something that I have always kind of had a gut feeling on, but after reading the book, it just solidified that. Uh, But was this always something that you were interested in as a little kid, or was this something that you became (laughs) super passionate about as you got older and started making more money? So that's a really good question. So my financial journey, so fun fact, this fun little statistic, I did a mom blog a couple of weeks ago. And she's like, when do you think kids start developing financial habits? You start forming financial habits at age four. So even though I don't want to say that it did start as a young age, I definitely think it did. So my dad actually has always been one of those like fear driven people. So he always like put a lot of money away. It was always like, you got to put money, like pay yourself first. Pay your, like I always knew that about him. But he lost his job when I was seven. My parents are a lot older. My, my, my parents are in their 60s and 70s. Like they are, they were way, way past most of my friends' um, parents' age. And so my dad lost his job when he was seven. And I was on track to like have my college paid for, have a car at 16, all the kind of typical things that my friends were getting. And my parents had no income for two years. They didn't lose their house. They didn't lose their cars. They kept my lifestyle the same because they were smart about preparing for impact. Like I use that a lot with my clients. You have to be prepared for impact because you just don't know what's going to happen in life. And so I think that moment he was like, okay, I actually cannot provide for my kids this way in the future. I need to prep them to understand how to be smart with their money. So my earliest memory of my entire life, I'm sure I had some fond memories earlier, but I don't remember them, was age 12. So I was entering into sixth grade right before I was like the end of fifth grade. My dad sat me down and he gave me a Mizzou brochure, which Mizzou is like the big school in St. Louis, our big school in Missouri. I did not even go there. I still, still haven't even seen that campus, but that was a brochure he gave me. And he's like, so this is Mizzou. This is how much it costs with um, inflation and just the cost of um, the campus going up. This is how much it's going to be when you enter into college. Where are you going to come up with 70K? Because you need to start working for that right now. And I was like, 
okay. And he was very intense about it. It was like a two hour. I just remember this was like the most intense conversation. And he's like, yeah, you got to start hustling now. I was 12. And so I started working multiple jobs. I started babysitting, nannying. Um, I was doing like all these events at my neighbor's house. I was dog sitting. I was a lifeguard by 14, just all this crazy stuff. And I was told by my dad, like, you got to figure out college and you definitely don't want to have any debt. So you got to come up with all this money on your own in the next basically nine years. So I went into college knowing that I was going to have to pay for it. And I had about a year and a half saved for before I entered into freshman year. And then I just made very smart decisions in college about um, like what jobs I took. And I interned for Disney for a semester, which got me a semester off of paying for school. I was an RA my senior year and I graduated debt-free. Um, and most of my, my, most of my friends, they only did that if their parents paid for their school. Yeah. Like most of my friends didn't graduate with no debt because they paid for it and had a strategy to pay for it. So it wasn't that I knew what I was doing. I just was very diligent about putting money away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment that I was like, wow, money is powerful is part of the money that I had my parents had put in the stock market at 18. So not only did I graduate debt-free, but I bought my first house seven months out of college because I had put all this money in Apple stock. And thank God Apple grew 6,000% in 12 years and I owned it for four years of it. So I was just able to then be like, wow, okay, now not only am I not in debt because I was smart about saving, but now I get to buy a house because I know how my money works for me. And none of my friends had done any of that, which is fine and also normal. And so I started like teaching myself and I started thinking like, what are the things that I can do to really have strategy around utilizing my money to help me grow wealth? I want to buy maybe another house in a couple of years, or if I want to go off on my own or be an entrepreneur or whatever that is. Um, But I was kind of always my friends, like go-to career girl. I was like really into resumes. I was like nerdy and I loved resumes. I loved interviewing. I like loved prepping for interviews. It was creepy. Um, so anything career or money related was kind of my go-to. Like when all of my friends got a 401k, I must've gotten 50 calls within two years of like, what is a 401k? And I was like, this is a tax deferred account, but I just would go through this field. So I kind of like my, I like need a lot of like responsibility. Like I have to be like a go-to person for something. And because I was already kind of ahead in that department, I just, trained myself to know what I was doing. So not only I could be smart for myself, but I could also help my friends know what they were doing so they could make smart decisions. Like that was important to me. And so just kind of went from there, but it all stemmed from that conversation. Age 12 changed my life. My entire life has been stemmed from that crazy conversation with my dad when I was in fifth grade. So that's where it all started. It's so interesting. Everyone has a story and that's why I have this podcast because every journey is different on how people get to where they are. But for sure, you can, when you ask people the question of like, where did this stem from? It always takes them back to a certain memory. And until you ask Mm -hmm. that question, doesn't really spark. And I know for me, there's been times that people have asked me and even with this podcast, I'm like, my parents have told me my whole life, you need to be a sports broadcaster. And I never did it. I just never, ever, ever, ever listened. And now that I'm here and things are aligning, it's just starting to make so much sense. So it's just, it goes back to that. It really just is a personality and back kind of on the entrepreneurship. What is the biggest challenge that you've experienced being an entrepreneur that you did not have in the corporate world for people out there listening who, again, maybe there's fear around taking that leap or Mm -hmm. they just are like, Hey, what am I getting myself into? Yeah. So it's so crazy. I, Oh, two weeks ago, my sorority reached out to me and they're like, Hey, Ashley, we'd love for you to come speak to us last, like some night and just chat with us. And I was like, okay. So I literally drove to Springfield, Missouri last night. And I spoke to them last night and I came back 
And one of the girls asked me this question. So I have the exact answer because <laughs> it is, I think about it all the time. The thing with like a corporate job, even my last sales job with Paycom, like they have kind of their strategy figured out. Like they know what they sell. They have a sales process that has been proven. And it is just your job to get your shit together and follow the process. And also in your own way, kind of make it your own. But for the most part, you are following a pretty structured, very successful process. In entrepreneurship, even if there's people that have gone before you or have done something similar to you, you're, you're creating your own business because you're not mimicking someone else. You're doing your own thing. So you, there's not really a proven process. Like I've tried to follow people and kind of be like, oh, maybe I should try this, but it doesn't feel authentic to me. And the best thing about my business and the best thing about any person's business is themselves. And that's their, that's like that spark and that special thing about their business. So I think like the big thing is you feel like you have to copy everyone, but then you realize that that's actually not what you should be doing. So then you go back to like the drawing board of every day, especially because I'm doing so much and so quickly. Like I've been like, I'm going to scale this thing as fast as possible. I literally have a blank slate 90% of days. Like, yes, I'll have meetings. And yes, it's like, I don't even know how to do all that. But every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, I have to basically figure this shit out today. Like there is no like proven process. There is no team to lean on. I am a one woman show at this point that will change soon. Thank God. But like at this point, it is me and my hustle and my grind and nothing else. And in a corporate setting, you kind of have like your roadmap and you kind of navigate a roadmap. Right now, there is no roadmap. My roadmap is literally being drawn. It's hand-drawn by me every single day. And I think that that's why most people fail is it's a very lonely journey. And also too, like you have to just have the guts and the courage to be like, I don't actually have any path, but I'm going to figure this out. And it's going to probably take longer, or maybe I'll have more bumps along the way or more mistakes along the way, but that's what's going to help me find the path that is successful. Then you bring on people to help kind of, you know, get that path going. So that's definitely like the hardest thing is I am very structured. (laughs) I'm very type A. I'm very like, I like to follow a process. I like a set schedule. I like a set everything. And every day I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm figuring it out. And um, I think the structure is coming, but six months in, there's still a lot of like drawing left to do. It's it's the hardest thing ever. It's like the best thing ever, but also the hardest thing I've ever done. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I feel as if my mindset is the polar opposite. I don't do well with a ton of structure. I don't like to be told what to do (laughs) all the time. Like I'm very, I'm not type A and like spiders probably mm-hmm. like Aaron, you're probably a little bit type A. I would say I'm intense, but mine is more just like, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be told what to do. And I know everything yeah. funnels in around you. And I do think sometimes it's like when you have this super set process, kind of like you just said, that set process doesn't work for everyone and everything. Oh. So I think that's one of the biggest flaws that I've noticed for myself is that that's how you yeah. build a huge corporation. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it kind of goes back to everyone's sh- life is different and everyone has that life path. So when you're trying to put a four corner wall around it, unless you're super. And I do think too, the people that are most successful in the corporate world are the most structured. They love that. They thrive on that type of stuff. And I just think when you're an entrepreneur, you're more of a visionary. And so it's just like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to throw this idea out there. I'm going to work for it and just see what happens. So it's yeah. kind of, it's interesting to hear you say that. What is your favorite thing about entrepreneurship or what is entrepreneur what is one thing that it's taught you about yourself that you didn't know 2 years ago when you were working in yeah. five? Yeah. I honestly feel like 
just as a person, the fact that like, this is something that is a hundred percent me. Like I, again, I was kind of looking and I was like, Ooh, should I do this or this? Or someone's really good at this. And I was like, that's bullshit. This is my brand. This is my story. This is my business. These are my clients. Like again, right now it's just me. And I was like, the fact that like, I can have a concept, I can prove my concept. I can scale a business to six figures in six months all on my own. I'm like, that is like the coolest thing ever because I, yes, I've had support and love and help that way. But for the most part, it's been like a hundred percent me. And there's very few things in life that we can really just own completely besides like just my personality traits or like, you know, accomplishments or achievements. Like, I feel like this is something that I can be like, this is a hundred percent me. And it's cool to kind of get validated in something that you have so much passion around. Like again, in a corporate job, you may be passionate about it, but like the validation is more like, oh, you're doing a good job for like this business. And for me, this is something where I'm like, I am like personally invested in this and I'm doing it hundred percent me and something that I came up with and I believed in is changing people's lives and the way they feel about their financial journeys. And hopefully with by the blazer, the way they feel about the identity that they're putting out in the world through their business. And like, I think that that's just really cool. Like I love, I love creativity. I've always been an obnoxiously creative person. That's actually like really weird. I took a quiz with the Northwestern mutual when they like wanted to hire me and they're like, you're obnoxiously structured, but your creativity is unrealistic for like most corporate people. Like it's very high. And they're like, are you going to be an entrepreneur or go corporate? They're like, we actually think you'll do amazing. Like, I remember them telling me that. And so what's crazy is I am very good in a corporate structure and I probably could go back and love pieces of it depending on the company. But I wanted to be an entrepreneur because I had a moment where I was like, I need to put myself in a new challenge and a new scope and I'm ready to fall on my face and I'll figure it out along the way. And that's what I do every single day. And I actually like love that because I get to hold myself accountable and it challenges me in a completely new way. So I just feel like I was ready for that challenge. And I think that there's a moment where everyone has that, where they're like, I'm ready to basically be a freaking failure every day of my life in a completely different setting and hold myself accountable through that process. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird answer, but that's honestly what's been like the coolest thing for me. I love that I fail. I love that I figure it out. I love kind of for the first time in my life, not having structure because it's challenged me as someone who's always been like very meticulous to be like, I don't know what's going to happen today. And like, that's a whole new thing for me. Like that's, I feel like I've become a new person in the last six months because of this new adventure I'm on. So a lot of, a lot of growth through that process. Let's take that a step further because I had someone on her episode actually launched this past week and she said that entrepreneurship was a personal development journey. And that statement resonates so much with me. As all the listeners out there listening to this know, I am a yoga instructor. I spend a obnoxious amount of time just really understanding who I am. Where does Aaron want to go and how can Mm -hmm. I best serve other people? So if you're open, what are some things that you've um, learned about yourself that you feel this journey has really taught you, whether it's, you know, more on mm. the emotional side of empathy yeah. or maybe it's, I know you talked a little bit about on your story, how you switched from being very money driven and my worth is caught up in yes. how, how much money yeah. I make versus happiness. And that yes. is exactly what my podcast is all about because yes. I, think there we're in, we're interchanging them in our society. Oh, 100%. So I like I said I talked to my sorority last night and they, they I was like what do you want me to talk on? And they're like 
business, career, money, growth, stress after college. I'm like, that's literally 85 different topics. Like, what do you mean? And so I sat long and hard and I'm like, you know what? I can talk about all these things, but they have 50 people talking to them about building up their resume, networking, all this bullshit that's so important, but they're getting that through this like corporate-y professional lens. I just want to sit there. I want to shoot a couple curse words around and I want to shake them up a little bit and be like, guys, you're putting so much pressure on this freaking piece of paper, your resume, this one document that you think defines you or even your social media. Like, I mean, these are young girls. I was like, that is not your worth. And I was like, that's my going to be my topic. I like came up with it at three o'clock on Monday morning. And I was like, this is what we're going to do. So for me, like for 26 years of almost 27 years of my life, my identity was how much money I had in my bank account and my job title. And I felt that from my, my dad. I felt that from myself. Like I was constantly chasing achievement. I remember when I graduated college, I was just working my corporate job and I was like, this is not enough. I'm not successful enough. And I tried to take like a Harvard business class, which I am not that smart. So I don't know why I decided to do that. And I remember being like, why am I doing this literally? Cause my need for achievement, I'm an Enneagram three. Are you familiar with Enneagram? Yeah. Have you ever taken that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm an Enneagram three and I am basically the poster child for an Enneagram three. Every part of my value has been achievement. What have I achieved today? What have I accomplished today? If I haven't, I have failed. And so to transition that to, I am going to consciously put myself in a position where I may not achieve anything because I'm off on my own and I could, this could all be a cluster has been the most emotional journey of my life. I also too, like was working every minute of every day. I was constantly tied to my phone. I was going into a boss's boss's office and be like, give me the gold star for the day. I sold a new account. And now like the only person, I mean, on my best days, I'm sitting on my couch, I get a new sale or a new client or I accomplish something or whatever. And I literally turn around and like, look next to me. I'm like, there is no one here to cheer me on. I have to be like, go Ashley, go. You freaking crushed it today. And it is lonely and I'm a crazy extrovert. So that's awesome. And like, I don't go to an office and get support and love and fuel from another person. So being alone, having to be my best cheerleader, having also the confidence to be like, there's no one telling me you're going down a right path or not. Like for an Enneagram three, for a high achiever who has always been focused on like what I've accomplished and money to obviously like figuring that out, like I'm literally not even the same human being I was two years ago. Like, I don't recognize myself. I feel like I look at myself through a lens of like that person was trapped and that person felt like they had no value outside of these two or three things that honestly, I don't really care about right now. Like, I don't care that I'm a CEO. I'm someone who impacts lives every day. That's my job title. I impact women's ability to see value in themselves. Like, that's what I do. I don't care that I'm a business owner. That's what I do. And that comes first. Just the fact I'm doing that through being a CEO. Like, that's all it is. And so when I talked to these women last night, I was like, this is how you're going to be successful after college. And they thought I was going to talk about networking this. And I talked about the way they talk to themselves in the mirror every day and how they need to choose their own path and how they need to invest in having friends because life is lonely and you need people that are going to love on you in your best and worth moment. And they're like, we've never had anyone talk to us like this. And I would have never given that speech two years ago. I would have been the psycho bitch being like, this is how you do your resume. And this is how you network. Like that would have been me because that's what was valuable to me now. And now I get to talk to people in an authentic lens because my identity is not any of those stupid things. Like now I can literally say like, I get to wake up and I'm authentically being myself and I'm authentically trying to connect with people and help them be better. And like that 
that was not me two years ago. So I just think like that growth has been so cool. And just the way I feel about myself now, like being good with accepting failure, being good with accepting of not knowing the structure thing. Like I've always been structured. So it's just, it's just crazy to think like who I am as a person and what I'm comfortable in now that used to like literally give me anxiety and fear and stress. I'm like, I got this. It's fine. Like it just doesn't feel as like life doesn't feel as heavy anymore, which is funny because I'm actually more stressed than ever, but like, it doesn't feel like stress. It feels like power. It's like totally different. I don't know if that makes sense, but like that's, it's, it's honestly like when I think about it, it's like crazy. Be like, Oh my gosh, this was me two years ago. I was crazy. I was psycho. It opens up your eyes because I've always been someone that wanted financial freedom. I've always wanted to retire when I was early. I wanted to have a family and everything that I've done, and I've been vocal about this, has been because my parents provided for me in a very nice way, Uh and I wanted to emulate that and what I have had Mm -hmm. and. My dad worked a corporate job, but he did have a lot of flexibility. I mean, he did work a lot, but my whole thing was that I love to work and I want to work, but I also want to be able to raise a family and be present and not be tied to certain boundaries or certain things. So that's always kind of been my why in it's not about money. And for so long, and this is a realization I had last year at 24, 25 was that I thought the whole time it was money. Like once I get Mm -hmm. this, it's going to make me happy. And when you put yourself in situations, you realize how unhappy I was and how unhappy every other person that was trying to achieve that same thing. So I think it's an interesting dialogue between entrepreneurs because I have yet to find an entrepreneur that his only he or she's only goal was to make money. It was always beyond that. There was always a higher purpose. So you're just another example. And it's good for people to know out there listening to that. I agree. I think everyone has a seven figure story. I think everyone has something unique about themselves that until you go through life and you try Mm -hmm. things and you figure out what doesn't work, you're going to find it. And it's just, how can you execute on that? So as we kind of big, is there anything else that you want to touch on? Oh, I was just going to say, like, what's crazy is everyone's like money, like money is the most important thing. And I said, guys, the most valuable currency you have is time. And they're like, really? And I was like, just wait, there will be a moment in your life where you realize that you can always make more money. You can never buy back more time. Like our time is limited. And that's the one thing that you can't go and get more of. I mean, you can stay healthy. You can do certain things to probably last, like get your life longer, but like life happens and you cannot always control that. So I think that that's the most valuable thing that I learned. And until probably, so probably similar with you, you're like that money was the most important, but it's not the money. It's the time that you're looking for. It's the flexibility and your freedom. And I think that's the ultimate decision when people decide, even if they're good at both to leave corporate, because they're like, my time is the most valuable thing. I don't, I don't care about the money I can make or guarantee through a corporate job. I'm ready to actually have the most valuable currency to me, which is my time. Yeah. That's 1000% my whole thing. And I talk about that all the time. And I have a mentor and he, he kind of opened my eyes to it because I've always said, and it's, I think it's a lot of the reason why I'm so direct is like, don't waste my time. If you're going to show up and you're going to say you're going to do something, do something because I can never get that time back and I can invest that elsewhere. And I just think it's also too on the other end when people do, I just find it to be completely disrespectful. Like I'm very aware that you have just as much time in my day as you do. So let's both just exchange that and understand that's why I would thousand percent totally agree with that. And my last, before we get to the last question, I wanted to wrap up. If there's two or three pieces of advice that you would give young aspiring 
people, whether it's your target market of women or just anyone out there that's listening to this podcast, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's financial, whatever it is, what would you like to leave the audience with today? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and again, it's just perfect timing. I talked to these women about it yesterday. Stop comparing your day zero to someone's day like 500. Like it is, we are always comparing ourselves to someone else. We're always looking at ourselves through the lens of, you know, what is potential. And that's awesome. But like everyone has to start somewhere. And most of the time, you don't see someone at their day zero. You see them when they've hit success or they are about to hit success. And then you look at yourself and you limit yourself because you're not seeing what's possible. So comparison truly is the thief of joy in every aspect, whether it's your financial journey or something else. And also too, like if you get yourself into a situation, you can always get yourself out. If you get yourself into debt, you can get yourself out. If you get yourself in a bad relationship, you can get yourself out. If you go down a path that is unfulfilling and it's a corporate job, you can get yourself out. You are never stuck and you are never limited. The only thing that's going to keep you stuck or limited is the way you feel about yourself and your mindset. So focus on your mindset out of anything, and that will trickle into any uh, every single goal that you have in every aspect of your life. I love that. Mindset is everything. She Everything. The perfect guest on the podcast. This is everything <laughs> I talk about. And it's just little small changes every single day add up. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was a pleasure. And my final question to you is, Ashley, what are you grateful for today? I am most grateful for my community. I think I'm awesome on my own, but dear God, I am a much better human person, entrepreneur, because I have amazing friends that I can rely on. And that's like another piece of advice I would give anyone your network is your net worth. And that is not just the people that you try to shake hands with. It's the people that hug you and love on you on your worst days. And so invest in your community because they are going to keep you going on the most difficult time. So I'm grateful for all my friends. I love them so much. I'm sure they'll watch this at some point. So thank you guys. You're the best. Yeah, no, mine is similar to you. I'm grateful for my friends. I took a trip to Vegas this weekend. It's just crazy how much time away resets you, resets your priorities and just bring especially me back to reality of you know being yeah. able to take time off and just enjoying yourself so that's something that I'm very grateful for and just having the health and the financial ability too so thank you so much for being on this Thanks podcast and we will talk oh. to you all next week